0: There's an old story that's told of missionaries who hired local guides to transport them to a a distant village in a remote mountainous region. The guides moved at a slower pace than the missionaries were expecting. So after the first two days, the missionaries decided to push them harder so they could go faster. And on day three of the trip, the group went twice as far as they had on day two. So that evening around the campfire, the missionaries congratulated themselves for having traveled so far in one day. But when they awoke on day four, the guides wouldn't budge. They were leisurely enjoying homemade tea around the fire. Why aren't we packing up and getting ready to move out, asked the missionaries. We will not travel today, replied the guide. Why not, asked the missionary. Everyone appears well. The weather's fine. Yes, said the guide. But we went so quickly yesterday that today we must wait for our souls to catch up to our bodies. What an interesting concept. Author Eugene Peterson writes that we stop, whether by choice or through circumstance, so that we can be alert and be attentive and receptive to what God is doing in and for us, in and for others, on the way. We wait for our souls to catch up to our bodies. I don't think there's a more important or perfect time to stop than as we begin Advent. Let's begin from a place of intention. Because unless we intentionally choose to slow down and make this meaningful, we're leaving it up to advertisers and obligations of Christmas parties and calendars. And it, at times, will be completely overwhelming. And the gospel stories of Jesus' birth probably couldn't come at a more appropriate time. This is a story about upheaval. It is a story that will require courage. Now I've read that courage is a sensibility of the measure of danger and a mental willingness to endure it. It is about having fear, being mindful of the risks, and making the conscious decision to do something anyways. Maybe there's something we can learn from this story because I don't think we've ever needed to be more courageous. I don't think you can truly comprehend the tension experienced in these pages, in these birth narratives of Jesus, unless you find yourself in there. And it really shouldn't be that difficult, if we're honest. It may take some work. It's a different time, a different place, a different culture. But it's important work for us to get to Nazareth, for us to make the journey to Bethlehem. And unless we appreciate the tension, I don't think we're going to be able to appreciate the joy that comes when light appears in the darkness at the other end of the story. Let's begin in this story that's already in the middle of its telling. Luke records it this way in chapter 1, verse 26. He writes that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel named Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a young girl pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The girl's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, "'Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you.'" Now Mary was greatly disturbed by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, "'Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High.'" The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. But how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I have not yet been with a man? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left. In the verses that follow, we read that immediately Mary heads to her relative Elizabeth's house in the hill country of Judea. It appears that she tells nobody of her experience, nobody of this angelic visit, nobody that she's pregnant. Elizabeth will be the first of course she can relate to some of it Elizabeth and her husband are older and Elizabeth has been not able to have children she's barren and in this culture at this time this was seen as disfavor for her to conceive after all these years is quite the miracle and now she's six months pregnant a child who will grow up and be known as John the Baptist now Mary wants to be with somebody can understand not just pregnancy but mess chaos and even being misunderstood in that moment of confusion and terror she wants the comfort of flesh and blood she wants a warm fire with tea who wouldn't i get it the story becomes relatable for us right here this whole trip to elizabeth's she must be recalling this encounter she's had I'm sure she's stumbling over the angel's words in her memory because she did when they were spoken. You have found favor with God, Mary. What kind of greeting was this? What could this mean? What is so ironic about the statement is Mary is surprised to hear it. She's confused and disturbed by it. Her supernatural visitor actually has to repeat it twice. The messenger has to repeat that she has found favor with the Almighty. Now, Mary must feel like there's some sort of misunderstanding here. You see, in this culture like ours, you would assume that a life that has favor would have lots of supporting evidence. It really shouldn't come as a surprise, right? It's like winning an Oscar. It should come down to a few good people, and then nobody should be shocked. Mary's surprised. Not because she's undeserving, but because she's so unsuspecting. We can all ring up a mental list of all those we think are favored. But the only reason we have a list is because of circumstantial evidence. But I think that we observe here something. Is that all that circumstantial evidence means nothing. It's circumstantial. What we witness here in this story with Mary is something far deeper, far more meaningful. Highly favored came to Mary as a surprise. And I think it's still that way. What makes Mary so special is not that in her abundance she loves God, but in the absence of her physical abundance that would suggest favor. Mary loves God. And by loves God, I mean willing to trust God. And I think that that's what makes her so special, humble, pure in heart. And Jesus told us that it was the pure in heart that will see God, that will experience the divine in ways that others are only blind to. Mary loves God not because by loving God she thinks she'll get everything she wants. Now, that'll take another 2,000 years for us to come up with that heresy. Instead, Mary loves God, and that is disconnected from what she has. Mary's faith is evident from the beginning of her story. What Mary is going to experience in the next nine months, or in fact the rest of her life, will cause her at times to wonder, I'm sure, what favored really means. You see, Mary... Joseph and most of the people we're going to meet in these birth stories will cause us to realize that sometimes being favored feels like you're not. Being chosen, set apart for life's challenges can cause us at times to question everything. But God brings the most beautiful things into this world through the unexpected. Not because he likes surprises, but he uses the kinds of people who choose to believe that God can be trusted. When the angel Gabriel brings Mary this news, actually, maybe after reading about her reaction, we should say, when Gabriel breaks the news to Mary, Mary's willingness is intriguing for me. I don't know about you, but I hope I would respond the same way. My fear is that I wouldn't. I think I might try to bargain a bit at first, you know? Aaron, you're going to have a baby, you know? Okay, all right, God, so here's the deal. I'll carry this baby, but no stretch marks. I want a painless water birth in my living room at eight and a half months. I will name him Jesus, but he can't have a cowlick. Okay? Right? We'd make concessions. Sometimes I think that we miss that in reading this story. That Mary's experiencing all this and she just surrenders. Sometimes I think we dehumanize her and we do that with Joseph as well. In many people's minds, Mary has been sainted by this point. But Luke is clear. Mary is terrified. Not merely because she is in the presence of a celestial being, but because the news he's delivering is disturbing. Great news isn't always easy news. When God chose to come through Mary's life, the collateral damage would be painful. And not just physically, socially, and also economically. As plans are changed, dreams are rerouted, The disruption of this would be felt in concentric circles emanating from Mary to Joseph and beyond. And there's no way around this news. It would have been terrifying. What stands out is Mary's question. It reveals a bit more of her character and perhaps why she's so favored. The question isn't really about God as much as it is about her. She's willing, but doesn't know how. How will this be, she says. I took health class, I saw the movies, I know how it's supposed to happen. There's a few things missing here, right? She's questioning her ability, not God's. Interesting, the messenger informs Mary that she's not the only one involved in what God is up to. That her older relative Elizabeth has a little something something as well. You see, anything can happen. A woman thought to be barren, Elizabeth will give birth to a son in her old age with her husband, Zechariah, and her son, John, a man who will eventually prepare the way for Jesus. The angel responds, nothing is impossible. Now, Mary didn't say it was impossible. She didn't have to. And then she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Wow. She's willing to be a part of something she doesn't fully understand. She demonstrates courage a sensibility of the measure of danger, and a mental willingness to endure it. Mary's willingness is breathtaking. and immediately, she heads off to the Judean hill country to find Elizabeth. We all know why Mary's going, don't we? Because if anyone's going to believe her, it's someone else who's experienced the unbelievable. Matthew writes that at the sound of Mary's greeting, as she enters Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth says the child in her own belly leaps, and she was filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth cries out and exclaims to Mary, you are favored, there's that word again, by God above all women, and your child is destined for God's mightiest praise. What an honor this is, that the mother of my Lord shall visit me. When you came in and greeted me, the instant I heard your voice, my baby moved for joy. You willingly believed that God would do what he said, And that is why he has given you this wonderful blessing, Elizabeth says. Now Mary responds to that with this. Oh, how I praise God. How I rejoice in my God, my Savior, for he took notice of this lowly servant. And now generation after generation forever shall call me blessed of God, for the mighty one has done great things in me. God's mercy goes from generation to generation to all who revere God. How powerful is God's mighty arm. How God scatters the proud and arrogant. God has torn princes from their thrones and exalted the lowly. God has satisfied the hungry hearts and sent the rich away with empty hands. And how they they have helped their servant Israel. God has not forgotten his promise to be merciful. For he promised our fathers, Abraham and his children, to be merciful to them forever. Wow. What a change from the Mary in Nazareth. Fear and confusion replaced by encouragement, hope, and poetic anticipation. Isn't it amazing that two different messengers tell Mary she's favored? And Mary has no problem believing one of them, and it's the one without special effects. I've always been intrigued that the Greek word for angel literally means messenger. It's the context that has the translators use the word angel instead. Here, Mary is told by two separate messengers that she's favored, and it's easier for her to swallow the one, the news from the one without wings. But let's not mistake that both are messengers of God's favor, of God's love. We read these stories and wish as children for an angelic visit, don't we? I remember, for the sky to crack and the celestial choir to give us direction. But these stories remind us, of the power of God speaking to us and through us. It will be the shepherd's words after Mary, after the birth of, of Jesus uh, to Mary that she will treasure in her heart because those are the things that help us through, not just the words of angels, but the words of God's angels on earth. It might have been the angels' words that encouraged Mary to head to the hills, but it was her relative Elizabeth's words that gave her the strength and the courage and willingness To return home I'm sure the memory of the angel definitely helped but make no mistake there is a reason the angel broke the news to of Elizabeth's pregnancy to Mary so she wouldn't feel alone she would need uncommon common humanity for her to find herself in the bigger story imagine her receiving this announcement without the news of Elizabeth how alone would Mary have been Her story against biology, against reason, against the village elders. What made Mary's return easier was that she was now not alone. You see, empathy is an incredible thing. We need each other. We are never so near the presence of God than when looking at that which was created in the divine image. Each other. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. Different. Three months pregnant with an incredible story of meeting two angels, both encounters changed her life. One gave her the courage to leave, the other the courage to return. But was it that Elizabeth offered Mary that enabled her to return home three months pregnant? What fostered that resilience in her? I think we already know. Matthew tells us, Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit of God. God is in this story of ours. And the journey journey ahead will seem, at times, to contradict that notion. We will pray for a sign from above, just something so unbelievable that will erase all doubt. But these stories will remind us that that isn't necessarily how it happens. God will send his angels. And we will know that they're sent from God, not because they glow, but because their message gives us hope. And I think about Mary returning home after her time in the hill country. As far as we know, she's told no one of her news when she first left. Her fear in returning to Nazareth must have been different than it was when she left months earlier. The promise was now felt in her body, not just a hypothetical declaration. It was growing inside. Luke will record that Joseph will discover her pregnancy, most likely as she returns three months pregnant with two angelic stories. It reminds me that God is with us still with us and sometimes he sends others to let us know whether with wings or not messengers they are when i am searching for god in the stillness of my night i should quit looking up and look among god is with us after all emmanuel and maybe we should all begin to implement the word willing into our vocabulary maybe even into our prayers asking god to give us the willingness to grow to achieve to help to care to be the divine messengers for those needing to be reminded that God is with us, because that willingness will not only change our life, but will also change our character. This story affirms all the more that when life seems out of control, when we find ourselves overwhelmed, terrified even, that the comfort we really need may surprise us. But make no mistake, God is still in this because God is here we may need someone to simply remind us. And this story is big enough for all of us. There's enough good news of great joy for everybody in these pages, because once you've heard the story, you realize your invitation is to become the story. And unexpectedly, we can all be messengers of God, bringing good news of great joy to all we meet, with or without words.